Our first reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4 and verses, where are we, verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And the other reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of our Lord. We are, I think, all of us familiar with the serenity prayer. In case you aren't, I borrowed Rail's version here so that we can, we can say it together. Will you say it with me? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Many of you don't know that the prayer actually continues. We're not quite sure where the prayer originated and who wrote what and who added to who else's work. Reinhold Niebuhr uh, was one of the first people to put it in writing so that we, uh, we attribute it often to him for making it popular, but he himself attributes it back to uh, a 19th century theologian by the name of Uttinger. So we're not quite sure where it comes from. Let me read the rest of the prayer to you. Um, we are mainly going to focus on that first part in our sermon series, but the rest continues. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever. You can pick up a copy of these notes if you want the, the full text of that. Trevor Hudson has read a, written a lovely little book which unpacks this prayer. We're going to be taking 
little uh, snippets and chunks from Trevor's book as we preach over the next five weeks. Trevor says in the opening chapter of his book that unpeace, I don't know quite where he got that word, but he made it anyway. He says, unpeace is the curse of our age. The headlines of our daily newspapers make it clear that we live in an unpeaceful world. And it's that, that unpeace that gnaws at people. Perhaps unpeace is the best opposite we can use for this term serenity. But serenity is such a beautiful word. It speaks of so much more than just peace, the absence of war. It speaks of being serene. It speaks of a calmness that is pervasive. You look at a person who you would say is serene, and you see a magnetic quality in this person, someone who doesn't have to prove herself to the rest of the world, someone who seems to breathe a different air from the rest of us because he is just calm and is able to put everybody around him also into that sense of calm. It is not for nothing that Alcoholics Anonymous and all the other 12-step programs, like Rail, for example, have adopted this serenity prayer as their prayer. Because I think it is very clear to them that it is the unpeace that they are trying to medicate with various substances or all sorts of other addictive behaviors. And until one finds the serenity that only God can give, you are going to be driven into some kind of addictive behavior. We've got to be frantic. We need to find something else to fill the hole. St. Augustine, great African saint of the 4th and 5th century, has said, God, you have made us for yourself, for yourself. And our hearts are empty until we find, until we find you, I think it is. What's, let me read the exact quote. Oh, now I've lost it. God, you have made us for yourself, and restless is our heart until it finds rest in you. There was a man who went to a doctor in London, and this was one nervous wreck of a man. He was, was really quite shattered. And eventually the doctor said, I don't have any medication for you. But what I think you need is just to get out there and laugh. Just to start enjoying life again. Why don't you go to the circus? I believe there's a fantastic clown at the circus. And the whole of London is splitting their sides at this clown called Grimaldi. And the man said to the doctor, Doctor, I don't think that will work for me. And the doctor said, Why not? And the man said, I am Grimaldi. <laughs> we each have this, this aching void that longs for, what else can we call it? 
but God's serenity. Paul taps into this in the letter to the Philippians, and he seems to very blithely say that I've got the answer for you. He says to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. Now, that's about as useless an advice as don't worry, be happy. Because if it were that simple, of course we would have discovered it long ago. And we would be able to overcome all our worries simply by taking a chill pill, as they say these days. But Paul then goes on and very tantalizingly says that there is a gift that God has for you. It is a gift of peace that passes human knowledge. It transcends our understanding. And that will keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. How do we get to this place of receiving this gift of God's serenity, which must surely be one of the greatest gifts that God has for us? Well, Paul, again, gives us tantalizingly little information. He says, first of all, don't be anxious about anything. Pray. Come on, Paul. I've tried praying. I pray all the time, and yet I'm still nervous. In fact, I'm so nervous and so anxious and so fraught that I, I, I even worry God sometimes. Hmm? Do you worry God? I know some people worry God. I think some people also depress God the way they pray. Well, what good is prayer? Is prayer really going to bring you peace? Because if it, if it did, surely there would be a lot more peaceful people. At Emmaus sometimes, we give people a God can. little tin can with a label on it and a recipe on the label. It says, if you've got a crisis, write down your crisis. If you do not have a crisis, invent one. When you've written down your crisis, put it in the can. Leave it there. Don't take it out. Know that God can deal with your crisis. Now, that's kind of kitsch, isn't it? It's kind of simplistic. And yet, perhaps it does actually work. Because this is putting prayer into a different way. Normally we think prayer is mumbling some stuff to God who we're not quite sure is listening. But I'm suggesting that the act of writing down your issue might in itself be very therapeutic. You can find so much healing just in the act of putting it down in words, putting it coherently where it's otherwise just a jumble of fuzzy thoughts that keep on buzzing around in your brain and waking you up in the middle of the night. Write it down. And then the God can says, put it in the can. Destroy it. Make sure that it's not going to get fished out again. And a symbolic action like that can in itself be very helpful. I know many people found on Good Friday the action 
of putting a nail in the cross. Very cathartic. In fact, every year I say to the people around me, are we going to do the nails and the flowers again for Easter? You don't think people are sick of that? And they say, no, you must do the nails and the flowers. It means so much to us. So every year, we'll give you another opportunity. But once a year isn't enough, is it? Every day, we've got to be putting something in that God can and saying, I'm not going to dip into it again. I'm not going to pull it out. Because, of course, that's our tendency, isn't it? So prayer needs to be maybe a different kind of activity from what you used to. Maybe you need to pray your prayers out loud somewhere. And if you're scared that people will cart you off to the funny farm, then just go out into the, into the sticks and do it where nobody's going to hear you. Other than God, of course. Do it in a way that will work for you. You see, the problem with the God can thing is that it reduces prayer to a quick fix, easy solution to any problem. And we know that prayer isn't meant to be that, is it? Prayer is meant to be a relationship. That's why we sing in that hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. We don't sing, what a solution we have in Jesus. What a friend. We don't sing what a macro we have in Jesus where we can go and pull everything we want to off the shelf and charge it to some rich Swiss guy's credit card. Hey? Uh, what a friend we have in Jesus means that we're going to hang out with him. We're going to walk with him. And as we imbibe something of Jesus' personality, so we will find that serenity come upon us. You see, prayer is stopping everything else just for maybe a short time to say, God, I need again your serenity. I think sometimes the guys who practice yoga or transcendental meditation might even do better at it than we Christians. Now, please, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you must go out and do these things. But they know that they need to stop and focus in order to find serenity again. What I'm saying to you is we as Christians have Jesus, our friend, standing by us. We don't have to get transcendental out of our bodies. We just need to know that Jesus is right here with us. And we need to latch on to that friendship. Because that's where we will find a serenity. Prayer is all about that. Prayer also happens best, perhaps, when it is shared. Because I need to know that Jesus' presence with me, the friendship I'm talking about, is seen also in reality with, with other people. And so I, I need to share my prayers with my home group. I need to share with my spouse. I need to share with, with somebody I can, I can really trust. Once again, many people have this thing about prayer as a, a solution, and they think that if we can get as many people as we can around the globe praying, then we've got a much better chance with God. 
So if I can present God with a list of a thousand people who are praying, surely God then has no option but to answer my prayer. Uh, one of the churches in our circuit uh, drew up a petition which they wanted to present to me as the superintendent in order to strengthen their case. They wanted to have something happen and they thought that the superintendent, who's me, was not listening to them. They're totally wrong. I listened to the very first person who raised the issue with me. I continue to disagree with them and frankly their petition doesn't make any difference to me. What is the point then of having prayer chains or having other people pray with us? The point is for me to know that I have a friend in Jesus and that friendship with Jesus is being replicated and expressed in flesh and blood terms through all these other people who are friend enough to spend just a minute or two praying with me. You see, when I know that, then I can actually afford to put it in the can and leave it. I can afford to, to receive this gift of serenity. I don't have to carry all my worry for myself. Some people think that they are impressing God by worrying. I mean, the least I can do is worry about it. Hey, quite the opposite. Jesus makes it quite clear that worry is the opposite of faith. He wants us to find his serenity. Paul goes on and he says, the second thing you need to do is renew your mind. He says, I want you to meditate on the things that are true and noble and right and pure. Things that are lovely. Meditate on those. Renew your mind. Now, Paul would have said it so much more clearly, I think, if he lived today. Because if you think of the simplicity of Paul's time, and the complexity of our lives today, he would have been horrified at how we stuff our minds, stuff it with more and more and more information. We live in the information age. We are bombarded by information. And so much of that information is persuading us to be anything but serene. It is saying to us that the product you have that you bought yesterday is already obsolete. Because there's a better one out and you need to spend some money and buy the better one. And so we become discontent with what we have. It's the way of the world to suck our serenity out of us. And Paul says the only way you're going to beat this thing is to renew your mind and unclutter it. Take time to unclutter your mind. Switch off your cell phone. You know, I have people who come into church and we flash the sign saying, switch off your cell phone. They say, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on silent because maybe someone will need me in the service. Are you really that important? You know, 15 years ago when we didn't have cell phones, 
nobody was so important that they had to be on 24-hour call. I remember when I worked for the mines once, I had to be on 24-hour call. They gave me a great big radio, and I had to walk around with this radio. And I was dead scared that it would start talking in the middle of a party or something where I was with this radio. I hated it. I don't want to be on 24-hour call. I'm not that important. I don't need to be. So, you know, try and simplify. You know, that, that social media are the, is the buzz thing of today. Hey? Everybody being interconnected with everybody and knowing everybody else's business around the planet. You know, the YouTube, the Twitter, and the Facebook, and all that. I have good news. They are planning to simplify this by amalgamating YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. So you'll only have to check one thing. It's going to be called YouTwitface. <laughs> Seriously, it's hard to readjust your mind back to the simple things. I was talking with somebody yesterday who was saying that when he was still fit, he used to go out to the mountain on an almost daily basis, simply for the sake of getting away from the phone and finding again his serenity. I can identify with that. I know that for myself, I could say that so much of my serenity starts right at the beginning of the day, when I ask Jesus to take over my thoughts for the day. Sandy and I share our quiet time and it is such a blessing to have a person like Sandy whose serenity I draw from. I'm sure those of you who know Sandy will know that she's a serene person. Paul says in his letter, whatever you've seen in me, try to emulate that. Now that's quite a tall ask for Paul to say. But look at people who are serene people and try to learn from them. Try to adopt that serenity. Talk to them. Pray with them. Ask them to pray with you so that you too can become a serene person. Let me go back, however, to Jesus. Because Jesus says to his disciples, if you are weak and heavy laden, come to me and take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And most of us are so burdened that we say, the last thing I want is another burden. The only thing I want is to get rid of my burdens. And we say, Jesus, how can it help us to take on another burden? The only thing we don't understand about that is that we will have to continue to carry our burden alone until we take on the yoke of Jesus. A yoke, as you know, is a piece of wood that spans two oxen and enables them to pull a wagon or a plow efficiently as a team working together. There's another meaning to that word yoke, though, as Jesus used it. 
because the rabbis, when they traveled around and taught their particular brand of rabbinical teaching, they called that rabbinical teaching their yoke. And so when people followed a rabbi, they would be said to be taking upon themselves the yoke of their rabbi. And Jesus has given us his yoke. We have it in the scriptures. There's a lot of it we don't understand. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't understand those things because they're the opposite of the world. But Jesus says, it's not so much about understanding them. Just do it and you'll find that it works. Because as we take that yoke of his upon our shoulders, we find that the yoke that we are carrying is relieved. And we find his serenity next to us. It makes all the difference. The problem is that most Christians these days think that they need just enough of Jesus to be an added-on extra. We look, we look at Christianity as an optional extra to our lives. Jesus says, if that's what you're going to do, it's like carrying that yoke in your hand. It'll get very heavy if you try carrying it in your hand. Strap yourself into it, and you will find that it is light. Jesus is not saying, I want to be an optional extra. He says, I want it all. I want nothing but all of you. And then you will find your serenity. Then you will find you don't have to medicate your need. You will find that you don't have to carry all the worry because it is lifted off your shoulders by the one who walks with you. Our world desperately needs serenity, doesn't it? We desperately need his serenity. As Paul says to us, Jesus is the friend who wants to give us that serenity as we pray and we learn to make prayer part of our lives. He wants us to renew our minds, thinking differently, thinking on those things that are important to God, not everybody else's things that they think are important. Jesus wants us to take his yoke and learn of him. Walk with him. Be with him. Come, let's pray. Lord, we take a moment now just to pause and allow your serenity to fill us. As we breathe out, we are exhaling all that worry and all those things that we think we have to carry in this world, all that grief and pain that we have allowed to become part of our identity. And as we breathe in, we receive again the clean, fresh air of your peace. Come into us, fill us, Lord Jesus, with the simplicity of life again, free from all the horrendous complexity 
that is threatening to drown us in our busy world. Release us from having to fill the gap with something else, some addictive behavior. We're all addicts in one way or another. We just have different things we're addicted to. Lord, we release that to you. Fill us with yourself. Take from us the need to speak compulsively and help us to be willing to sit and listen at your feet. Amen.